Thank you all. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to be with you tonight. I uh, have been out of the pulpit for quite a while. So uh, I ask your indulgence as I kind of get warmed back up. Now, I do want to warn you, I can speak at about 120 or 130 words per minute, and I could probably speak for about three hours, but I'm going to try to cut back. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I do my best sermons I've delivered are mowing the grass. I don't know if you know that. You, do some of y'all think while y'all mow? I, I, I preach while I mow the grass, and I push mow my yard. It takes me about an hour and 20 minutes to push mow, and I walk 3.1 miles. I, I run a 5K mowing the yard. But I tell you what, I preach some great sermons <laughs> while I'm mowing the grass, and I, I won't do that to you tonight. I'll try to behave myself and get out on time. But I do want to tell you this. If by what I tell you tonight and some of the things that I share with you, if you have further questions or if you would just like to talk about something that you have on your mind, you have a question, please feel free to call me. I live in town. Uh, I work part-time with Advanced Auto Parts, and so I work some, kind of. You know, it's not too bad. Oh, by the way, we're hiring. If you, if you wives need to get rid of a husband, for about four hours a day just to drive a loop and carry tires around for Firestone stores. Real easy, you come in at 10.30, get off at 3.30. Uh, you can do it one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, kind of like that. Don't pay much, but, uh, but it is, it's an easy job and it's a job. Gives you a little bit of spending money in case you have a wife that kind of controls the purse strings. It might, <laughs> might help you a little bit, but uh, it's been enjoyable for me. It's been a real change for me to sort of stop from full-time work and to kind of focus a little bit. So I've gotten a little different perspective than what you do when you're preaching all the time. And so I think, I, I hope what I share with you will be not only my experience as a minister in the works that I was involved in, but also so that I can kind of help you. But again, if I have any questions, I'll be happy to give you my phone number. Uh, feel free to call me anytime. And I'll be happy to meet with you or talk with you or, or help out and whatever. Because, you know, it's all about us helping each other. I mean, it's, we're all in this thing together. We need to work together. We need to help each other out. Uh, churches, it, it's unfortunate. Over time, churches have become a little competitive. And it shouldn't be that way. That's, we're not in competition with each other. We're just not. And that's not the way it is. We're in competition with the devil. That's who we're in competition with. And we need to focus our, our, our efforts on that and realize that we're in a spiritual battle for the souls of men and for the hearts of men. And it's our job as Christians to do the best we can to see to it that Satan doesn't win. And we're going to try to keep as many as we can from being gotten hold of by the devil and taken away. I'm going to give you tonight, I, 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 I'm going to be a little more personal about my approaches. A lot of times I would, I want to be biblical at the same time, biblical principle, but I also want to share with you a little bit more the personal end of it uh, from the work that I've done. So I'll share with you some stories about individuals and peoples, and I hope you'll, you'll appreciate that approach to it. Um, basically, what I want to talk about tonight is we're going to look at that encompassing elders, deacons, ministers, the whole church family is what we're talking about. And we're talking about God's family. And, you know, what is it we can do to grow and to develop? So many times, emphasis has been placed over the years on numbers. You know, we look at numbers all the time. And we think about, well, what's our numbers on attendance? What's our numbers on growing? And so the focus has been on numbers. And I, and I don't want to discount numbers because every number represents a soul. So I'm not trivializing the idea of that. But I think sometimes we get so focused on numbers alone that we fail to focus on the individuals. And we fail to focus on individual souls and the importance of every single person that we meet every day, every single person that we love and care for that are part of our families and extended families, and every person that we work with 
every person that we're going to church with because all of us are special. I'll never forget the poem that Joe Gray, I, I studied under Joe Gray, who had done mission work at Lipscomb, and he had done mission work in New Zealand, actually grew up in the Old Hickory congregation that I basically sort of grew up in from the time of seventh grade until I got out of high school. But he had this poem that he quoted from a mother who told her son, who was going to be a missionary, that he needed to make sure, and he was asking about what to speak on, and she says, speak a good word for Jesus. You and I are a reflection of Jesus. We're supposed to be. When people see us, they're supposed to see Jesus. It's one thing to speak a good word about Jesus and what you say to somebody about Jesus. But we speak volumes every day about Jesus by the way in which we conduct our lives and the way we interact with other people. Do people see Jesus in you and me? I love a song that talks about how we want to draw so closely to Jesus that I am wholly and solely dissolved into thee. You know, that's it. We came from God and we're going to return to God. And that's where real peace is when we have that privilege and our opportunity of one day being reunited with the Father and with His Son and with the Spirit. And that's what we ought to work towards. Joe Gray also said this in a poem that he quoted. He says, isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust strings and common people just like you and me are builders of eternity? Each of us is given a shapeless mass, a box of tools, and a book of rules. And each of us must shape, before our life is gone, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Our lives and our reflection of Jesus in our lives to the people around us, we're either going to be a stumbling block or we're going to be a stepping stone. Jesus said, let your light show shine before men, that they may do what? See your good works. And what's the objective? And what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're trying to do. That's really just what we're trying to do. And sometimes, you know, we're, sometimes we do a good job at it, don't we? <laughs> and sometimes we do a horrible job at it. But now, when we bring us together like this, we, we think in terms of a church, and we should think in these terms, we think of a church family. It's a family. I had a secretary in Larksburg, Tennessee, and I love Melanie Nutt, sweet as she could be. And she's from West Tennessee, yeah, uh, so I forget where she's from, Humboldt or somewhere over in West Tennessee. But we would deal with different things, you know, when issues would come in and people would be having problems and everything. And I love what Melanie would say, she, she, she said, every family's got stuff. <laughs> Do you know that in your family? Every family's got stuff. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of background you come, every family's got stuff. Why? Because we're human beings, that's why. <laughs> we're, we're imperfect human beings. We just are, and we make mistakes. That's why Jesus had to come and die for us. If we could be perfect, we wouldn't have to worry about that. But the reality is all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <laughs> and as much as we try, we're not going to be perfect. But what we want to do is keep trying. Don't stop trying. Just because you can't be perfect doesn't mean you stop trying. That's our objective, to try to do the best we can to shine as a light to those around us. 
And I want you to know this, every single soul is absolutely precious in the sight of God. Now, are some of you worried about the church and the direction the church is going or the direction of the country or individuals? I want to read to you something. There was a well-respected preacher wrote this. Today, he says, the well-trained Christian can see the signs of the impending dangers to the Christian faith. One so trained has written, quote, evidences multiply that we slip from safe moorings, that a strong tide of departure sets in. We cooperate with sectarians. We conform to a denominational spirit and methods. We decry debates with errorists. We work through lodges and we glory in politics. Preachers are produced by colleges rather than by congregations. Men and books are elevated to the authority of the word of God. And we court rather than fear human standards of education. Elders slacken in dealing with the unruly. They fail to fit themselves for their duties and so hire outsiders to do their work. There is a craving for smooth things and evangelists, failing to reprove evil condition and apparently thinking more of show and numbers than of genuine conversions, more of offending men than God, or filling the church with unconverted and those undominated by gospel ideas are not these danger signals. That was written by a fellow named Price Billingsley. He wrote it to M.C. Curfees in 1928. <laughs> 1928, he wrote those words. See, all of us, we think we have a lock on immorality. We, oh, our generation's <laughs> the one that's bad and got all the struggles and all the problems. What was interesting is this, while he, while he cautioned that danger, do you realize that within 40 years we would become the fastest growing religious group in America? Because by 1968, we would be exactly there. Stronger, growing tremendously in numbers. Well, I'm not saying that Brother Billingsley wasn't wrong about some of the things he was talking about. I think he's probably true. And he had genuine concerns, and I think people we ought to respect with his wisdom and age and all that. But the situation wasn't as bad as what he thought it was. Now, maybe it was his saying that. Maybe others took up that banner and preached and taught and what they did. But you and I both know what changed. And here's the thing we put on ourselves sometimes. And we think about, well, the church isn't growing. You know, why, why isn't this building full tonight? You know, we, we worry about the aspects of why are people not, not coming the way they should? Why can't we get larger than what we've got? Well, truth is that people have hearts and hearts change do you remember when Jesus gave us that lesson about the parable of the sower you remember when he told us that the seed was the what the word of God right the different souls were what men's hearts right only one out of four was good soil that the seed implanted in produced abundant fruit. Folks, a lot of success or failure is not the blame of the sower of the seed. It's the condition of men's hearts. And the reality is that through different periods in time and in history, people's hearts get hard. Do you think some people's hearts are a little bit hard right now? I think so. I asked gospel preachers who had great success back in the 60s and 70s, I asked them this. I said, are you preaching any different than what you taught before? Are you still teaching the same lessons you taught? Oh, yeah, a lot of them preaching the identical same sermons they taught back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and I asked them, I said, are you getting the results you got back in the 60s and 70s? And you know what their answer is, don't you? No. <laughs> I'm preaching the same sermon. I'm teaching the same truth I've always taught. 
But I'm not getting the responses that I got back then. Well, could it be that people coming out of the Depression and out of World War II and thankful to survive through all of that had a little more palatable hearts to receive a message of hope after all the despair and after coming out of a world war and the hope for America after having been able to be on the winning side of that war? Well, yeah, I think so. So I want to say that to say this. I don't want to give you as an excuse, but I also want us to be realistic. People's hearts are a little bit harder than what they used to be. They just are. There's a lot of stuff in secularism that comes in, but I'm going to tell you what. We've known from historical standpoints, all generations go through these types of things. We know that historically. And we know there are cycles that we, that we deal with. And we know there are going to be times when people aren't going to want to listen. So what are we going to do about that? Well, you, you can change your methods. And as long as you don't change doctrine, don't compromise doctrine, changing the methods. You know what the seven words of a dying church are, don't you? We never did it that way before. Sometimes you do have to adapt. Don't change the message. You adapt the method. You adapt the way you reach out to other people, the way you communicate. We have seen very, very clearly that we're living with a generation that uses electronics. And anytime they search anything, if they're going to buy anything, they go online to find it. And so if there's things online, whereas you or I before, we would just talk to people. I mean, my own kids, they don't want to talk to me. They said, Dad, why don't you just text me? I hate texting. I hate it because you can't communicate feeling and inflection and tone and all that kind of stuff. But my kids, you know, it's like, Dad, don't bother me, man. You, you text me, I find when I get time, I'll text you back. Now, they're pretty good because they know I'm old fogey and I'm kind of slow and I think they kind of feel sorry for me a little bit. So. So they still love me, so they do communicate with me. They're not cut off communicating. But they definitely have a different way of communicating. And two, because you can hide behind a computer screen, we have people today who can throw things out there and be real brash and real harsh and sometimes they can get a pretty big backlash from it. But it's a whole lot different to fuss and cut somebody down on, on, on paper than it is to stand in front of them. It depends on how big they are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We've lost a touch. But I'm going to tell you what. We're still human beings, and we still need touch. I still want to make my kids hug me when I see them. I don't care how many times I talk them on the phone. I want to hug my youngins. I want to tell them I love them. And I do. We're human beings and we can't thrive without having human contact with other people. So, I'm saying this to say, I want you to be encouraged. I think there's hope. And I think we can help make a difference in in doing the things that need to be done. Hearts just change, that's just reality. Let's go to the Bible. I know I've talked about a lot of stuff, but let's go to the Bible. Let's go to Ephesians. Uh, I want to look first off at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start reading roughly about verse 11 through 16. I'm reading from, I think this is a New King James. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now we know what apostles are. Prophets were divinely guided men by the Holy Spirit to speak and to teach. Some predicting future, not always. They just mean speak on behalf of God. Some evangelists. People around, you know, as Paul did, traveling around, do the work. 
And some pastors, and here the word pastor actually we're better translated, these are elders, they're pomane, they're shepherds, and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, God has given certain roles and functions within the church, and these are very distinctive different functions that have varying roles. Not everybody's exactly the same, but there are functions, and this is God's design. You understand? It's his church, his kingdom. Now, I know some of us might have a tendency to say, uh, that I, I don't want to say my wife's this way or not, so I'm not going to say this, but you know, there's two ways of doing things. Her way and the wrong way. <laughs> right? Sometimes we're that. Listen, this clearly is indicating to us that different people have different functions, different roles, but it all works together. And some people may do it a little differently than other people. And these clearly define differing roles and responsibilities. But all of those roles, each of those individual roles, is for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we are no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking, listen to this carefully, speaking the truth in love. When you try to talk to somebody about changing their life, If you've got somebody that's doing something that's going to cost their life, you can't help but let them know if you love them. Do you remember back, hey, I, I know this crowd, remember? You remember the Tylenol scare? Remember when they got the tainted Tylenol came out? People all over the country started dying from the tainted Tylenol and they couldn't exactly figure out exactly where it was. Did you tell anybody not to take any Tylenol? You better believe you did. You called your kids, you called everybody, you called your neighbors. Did you hear that report about the tainted Tylenol? Several people was in Chicago, I think, and died of, of this tainted Tylenol, and they weren't sure, so the, they started pulling them off the shelves and everything else. Why did you do that? You did that because you loved your family. They're the first people you contact, right? Because you love them. You didn't want them to get a hold of that. You, you didn't want them to die. Is the same true spiritually of people who you fear are dying spiritually without Christ? Do, you, do, we, do we have the same urgency? Jesus said, unless you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. Is that true? We're told in Acts that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other way. Why don't we do a better job of telling people that? Okay? And you, you can answer that question. Well, they don't want to listen. Well, they just, they just think I'm another Bible banger just trying to beat it on their heads. Or they, they think, well, any rigid thing's okay. It doesn't matter. We know better. And I know sometimes when we talk to the people we love, they don't always listen. But I don't want to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment knowing that I could have talked to somebody, but I didn't. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every, listen to this, Every part does its share because of the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
not everybody's a preacher. Not everybody's going to be an elder. Not everybody's going to be a deacon. Not everybody's going to be a Bible class teacher. Not everybody's going to be a personal worker. We understand that. There are different roles. People are better at certain things. But I want you to understand, every one of us can do something. You may not be able to preach, but you can grade Bible correspondence courses and mail those out. You can uh, greet people when they come into the church building here and let them know that you love them, you care about them, and you're glad they're here. You can do that. How many of you can write a note to somebody and just to tell them, I just want to know I was thinking about you, I love you, and I'm praying for you? I mean, that, that's not that hard, is it really? We need to try to connect with people. We need to try to get past any fears. Do what you can do. You know, it's like doing anything when you, when you start to exercise. Take baby steps. <laughs> you don't have to do the big stuff. Sometimes we just think we've got to have some kind of big program. We've got to do big things. You can do more than you realize you can do on small basis every single day. There, there, there are things that happen in people's lives that people, all of us, all of us suffer. You know, that's a common denominator of humanity. We all suffer, right? Everybody, everybody suffers with something. It's funny, the Buddhist religion shows this big, well, well-fed, satisfied, sort of serene person as the symbol of their faith. Islam got its start as a militant movement. Power and strength. Conquering. Unfortunately, some Christians got the idea that that was the way to help convert the world, was just go and convert them or kill them. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If Jesus had wanted us to fight as soldiers, he said that. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would be fighting for me to free me. I'm not of this world. This is spiritual warfare that we're in. But we need to recognize that Christianity is symbolized by a cross. The epitome of suffering. And that's where Jesus meets us. How many times have you fallen to your knees in the darkness of the night and wept in prayer to God? I have. I have a lot. What did Jesus do when he saw the pain and the hurt and the suffering in the hearts of Mary and Martha? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew that he had already died. What moved Jesus? was when he saw Mary and Martha hurting. We need to recognize everybody at some point in their lives needs somebody to let them know they love them and they care about them. The elders Deacons, Bible class teachers, members of the congregation, we all are a part of the whole group. Now, each of us has different roles. Definitely, elders have specific roles they have to fulfill, 
Uh, deacons have roles and servants that they have to do. Teachers have roles they have to fill, and there are cautions with all of those. And they all carry their own set of burdens and struggles. But every single one of us has an obligation to love people. And congregations that are successful know people love them. Elders need to let everybody in the congregation know they love them. And we care about you and we love you. And I know elders do it. I've been with so many wonderful elders and the love they've shown and the, and the blessing they've reached out to other people. Because, and, the, and the beauty of elders doing that is people expect it from the preacher. He's being paid to do that. Okay? I know that feeling. If the, you know, in some congregations, you can have five elders and ten members, but if the preacher don't come see you, you don't feel like you've been visiting. Well, it shouldn't be that way. Now, I tried. When I was at Pulaski Street, and I, and, I, and I started having, because when you work for big congregations, you really have to keep extensive notes to keep up with everything. I went to Nashville 180 times in one year, visiting the hospitals, involving, now some of the people are saying twice, over 233 people that I went up there and I visited with and I stayed with, they were having surgery and I prayed with. Everybody in the church is important. And elders, deacons, teachers, we need to let them know that. We need to let them know that you've got a place here, that you are loved unconditionally. And that we love you and, and people need to know they can mess up and come to us and we'll forgive them. Now some folks have a hard time with that. Well, I'm kind of tired. You know how they are and they just keep messing up. I guess that person, they, they keep coming forward all the time. I don't know what's wrong with them. Well, you, be thankful. Maybe you don't have as much struggles as they do and they, they have a tougher time. I don't ever want somebody to be able to say, I just don't feel like anybody at that church really cares about me. I was sick. Nobody called me. Remember Jesus said that? I was sick. You didn't visit me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. And then, then, then people there say, when did, when did we see you naked without clothing? I was sick and naked and without clothing. As often as you did it not, listen carefully, unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you did it not unto me. Now that's scary. That is scary. Let me tell you about a boy that I've known, I guess probably since I was about 17 or 18. Uh, he's a young man that has special needs. He's classified as, he's on the spectrum. His brother is a prominent, well-recognized um, journalist, investigative journalist in Nashville, Tennessee, very prominent. But Gene isn't. I used to take Gene with me when we go take the Lord's Supper to folks on Sunday afternoon, you know, the folks that were shut in. Gene, Gene's a little clumsy. He looks a little different. He's a little awkward in the way he does things. And he's very simple-minded in a lot of ways. Gene went with me everywhere. He'd go with me to take it. And, and, and I, I, I loved taking Gene with me. I, I mean, I, I think it's great. And I know sometimes when we go see people, they might be a little uncomfortable with Gene, not knowing how to handle him or how to work with him. There has not been a more 
faithful. And this has happened. I've worked with three or four other special needs young men. Uh, they're all the same. All of them contact me. All of them call me. All of them get, keep in touch with me. All of them would do anything for me. You remember what, when the Lord was talking about how that we show favoritism to the rich when they come in? And, you know, we say, come here. James says they always say to somebody, well, you go sit in this place. But if somebody comes in and they're not wealthy or they're not sharp or kind of fit our mold of what we want here, we tend to say, well, you just go and you sit over there. One time I was trying out for, well, I say, I wasn't trying out. Let me try to put it this way. I, I privately behind the scenes was working with an eldership uh, to make a change in a move. And boy, when you, when you preachers make a move, you have to really be careful what you do. But I, I had not told him, and nobody in the congregation, I talked to the elders privately, nobody in the congregation knew, I wasn't gonna try out. They knew, they knew my abilities, and they had, they had known me from other times past, so I wasn't gonna try out for them. And they had decided they needed to change preachers, which they did need to change preachers. And they had told the guy, you know, and they'd given him time, and he hadn't taken some job offers he had early on, so the guy was just kind of lingering on. So I offered to come by and just visit with him. This is actually while I was still, I was preaching for the Carnes congregation, which I really enjoyed. It was great work. But this was going to be a small congregation, about maybe 35 members. And they had been strong at one time. My daddy had helped them uh, start in their first gospel meeting. He actually planted the church there back in the early 60s. And so I was real interested, and they loved me, and, you know, just because of my tie to my dad. Um, and I'd worked with the church in Salem, Virginia, one summer, and, and, and one of the elders at the church at Salem had now moved to this town and was an elder of this particular congregation. Well. You know what I did? I had a guy with me. I'd gone over and I was speaking at a speaking engagement on the, on the East Coast over in Surrey, Virginia. And, and a guy had come with me here from here in Knoxville. Gone. I think it was a singles retreat or something like that, and I was speaking for them, and I'd done that. Well, on the way back, I told him I was going to stop by the church and visit. So what I did was, though, nobody knew who he was. Several people there knew me, but they didn't know him. So what I did was, there was a Hardee's right across the street from the church, and I had him I said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I want you to do me a favor. I said, I'm gonna drop you off at Hardy's. <laughs> and I said, I'm gonna come on to the church on my own. And I said, well, you walk over a little bit later and just see how people treat you. Because I, I wanted to find out whether or not they'd be nice to him. They would know. It's only a congregation of 30 something people. They'd know if he was a visitor or not. I mean, that, I mean it's not like that, but I, I wanted to kind of find out. And so we did this little covert operation. And, uh, and he went in and everything, and sure enough, they greeted him. Sure enough, they came, several people approached him and spoke to him and welcomed him and thanked him for being there and everything. And then, a lot of people didn't even know I was gonna be there, so, but I came in later on. Like I said, I didn't speak, I just was there visiting. And then I met with the elders afterwards and, and a work I did decide to take um, because I wanted to help build that church back up again. But that made me feel really good to know that a stranger could come in and the people there. So I knew they had, I knew the elders, I knew they were good men, I knew they were sound men, uh, but I wanna say this very carefully because I want, I don't wanna be disrespectful of guys who preach, who are good men but are just not real successful at growing churches. This young man wasn't that they had there. A good-hearted man, but he, he just sat around, he, he didn't get out and visit, he just didn't do stuff. And, and they would say of him, they would say this, well, he's a good Bible class teacher. That's kind of a nice way of saying, well, he's not that great a preacher. Uh, sometimes, at least us preacher guys, we kind of get a feel for that, and we kind of think that way. Well, I was thankful that they did that. And they hired me, and I left Carnes, which was a great work. Carnes is a great congregation to work with. I, I really enjoyed working with Carnes. 
and they paid pretty nice too compared to <laughs> so I so I took a bit of a cut in pay and, and my wife wasn't too thrilled about leaving Knoxville and her friends at Carnes because she had some really close friends but I, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to do this work so I went there and did it um, but and it wasn't anything magical to it. We just started getting out. I just got out in the community and started visiting people. I started stopping at the coffee shops, having a cup of coffee, talk to people. And generally what happens is that eventually, and I'm, I'm telling you this because you can do this. I'm sitting in a coffee shop and they overhear a conversation about somebody whose husband's had an aneurysm, he's in the ICU. And, and I go up to the owners of the restaurant and I said, and I said would you, would you mind if I went over there and, and you know prayed with him or went over there? And so I prayed with them there, and they said, "No, that's fine." Matter of fact, we don't. We don't you know, she doesn't have a church, and her husband and and he had a uh, aortic aneurysm. And so I went over there and I sat with her and I stayed with her till five o'clock in the morning when he passed away. Didn't know it, never met her before, but it it was just the right thing to do, you know. And it was the timing. I mean, I didn't plan, but you, you just do that. As a result of that, I preached the funeral. She was baptized. Her mom and daddy obeyed the gospel. Her brother-in-law and sister-in-law obeyed the gospel. Uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law ended up converting their neighbors. They came and obeyed the gospel. And then another family of four, with two boys, and mom and dad, obeyed the gospel. All a result of that contact, two of the boys are preachers of the gospel now. I never would have dreamed that would happen. Let God work with you. Let God work through you. I, I, know, I know you're not preachers, but that doesn't matter. People just need to know they're loved and they're cared for. And sometimes you just need to go be with somebody and just to say, hey, listen, I just, I was just thinking about you and I just appreciate you and I just want you to know I love you. Because there's going to be a time in their life when somebody's going to face a crisis. And if you've shown love and kindness to them, then you can make a difference. And you don't have to be a preacher to do that. Do you remember with uh, the situation with Esther? You know the story with Esther, right? How that the decree has gone out, and the order is that you know the Jews are going to be killed on a set day. Mordecai goes to Esther and says, Esther. You know, you need to intervene on behalf. Well, you know, death penalty, if you go before the king, I don't care if you are a beautiful wife, if you go before the king without being asked, you're subject to being put to death. And, and I thought it was, if we listen to what Mordecai tells Esther, he says to her, who knows? But God has put you in the kingdom, in this position, for just such a time as this. But listen to what he says. But if you won't do it, God will raise up another to do it. And boy, that's, that's put a lot on that girl. <laughs> I'm telling she's probably a young girl and you know this very beautiful girl she's been pampered all of her life she's in but I admire the courage of that young lady because she literally literally put her life on the line when she approached the king God's not asking me to put my life on the line at least I've not I don't think I've had too many I have been in some situations that that I've been kicked out of house before. <laughs> I've been yelled at a little bit. I went Adel McKinney, a preacher up in uh, North, uh, up Northern Kentucky, wonderful man, did all kinds of mission work in Vietnam while he was there, is uh, working as a, in the medical corps there, and helped establish church there. He says, "You know, Tim. He said, I don't think I ever converted anybody. I didn't make them a little mad first, <laughs> just a little mad. <laughs> kind of wanted to prove me wrong enough to." get in the Bible and start reading and studying but I thought that was great but but reality is in this case here she could have died 
easily. What'd you do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path. Do you believe that? I do. I've seen it. Bottom line with the church uh, that I went to, Lord opened up doors right and left for us. Like I say, and that was, I, I've often thought about writing a book called Coffee Cup Conversions, because that's all it was. I stopped and got a cup of coffee. They had the best coffee. And I'd stop and get a cup of coffee and sit there and chat with them. And it was that connection that led to all of those people obeying the gospel. Who would have ever dreamed that would have happened? I mean, I was having Bible studies in the restaurant. We got to where they would close down about 3 o'clock. They did mainly breakfast and lunch, and they closed down about 3 o'clock. I'd come in down there, and they'd start inviting friends and others. We'd sit around the table, and I'd conduct a Bible class. Never would have dreamed that would happen. It's amazing what God can do when you just let him. Let him work in your life. Let him get opportunities. Just, and, and all his basis of it, just do what common sense. Just be kind to people. Just be good to people. And reach out to people who are suffering and are hurting. Let them know you care. Maybe they'll listen. Maybe they won't. You never know. But you definitely won't know unless you try. And everybody in the congregation ought to feel that way. And everybody, I want, I want us all to feel that way. Now I'm going to get back to Gene. Got a call from a friend. They told me, he said, have you heard about Gene? He's a preacher friend. Not too far away from here. I said, no, I never been. He says, Gene is, uh, he's, he's going with the Salvation Army. And we were concerned about that, you know, because he'd. I called Gene, I just talked to him because I love him. He loves me. I tell you, if there's anybody I know loves me, he loves me. We, we communicated that way the other day. I wish I could read you the text we sent back and forth. But for privacy issues, I think I ought to respect that. Not revealed, but uh, that correspondence. But Gene's a good friend. And basically, just uh, we, we, we just said, you know, we both love each other and we care about each other. Let me tell you what Gene told me when I asked him about that. He said, Tim, he said, they're the only people that'll accept me. He said, they're the only people that'll let me do things. He said, every church I went to, Church of Christ, they wouldn't let me do anything. Matter of fact, they put me off to the side. That broke my heart. You just, you just have to know how good Gene is. What a wonderful soul he is. He walked four miles to my mother's funeral. Four miles. He's such a better man than I am. There are genes in this community. There are genes that you know, that you can show love and care towards, and let them know that you care. And then just sit back and watch what God does. Sit back and let yourself what what God does when he does that. I've got some other material I want to give to you, but I'm not going to give it to you tonight. It's too negative. I don't want to deal. I was going to deal with some of the negative stuff. Maybe they'll invite me back and I can finish it up for you sometime. But I was going to talk about grabbers, gazers, grumblers, and go-getters. Now, maybe that teases you for down the road sometime, okay? Those are those are those are the those are the problems, <laughs> people that we have, and I don't want to talk about that or share that. But I want you to know it's the whole congregation together. It's the elders, the deacons, and and I want to tell you something. Um, 
I was harder on elders when I was younger before I understood the burden they bear. You have no idea. And guys in here who are elders now, they will tell you, people can tell you about it, but you have no idea until you become one, the burden that is on your heart. Uh, we're told to conduct ourselves in a way that we don't become a burden to the elders, and we should. The elders are shepherding God's most precious possession, his church. And we need to do everything we can to help them do that. I love deacons that are appointed. Deacons are workers. Sometimes, boy, you know, you, you just, there are things that just need to be got done. And I know sometimes we view deacons as kind of a stepping stone toward being an elder, and sometimes that couldn't, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just, you know, they're just being deacons. And, and the word diakonos is a word which can be translated servant. Minister, that's what it is. But aren't we all servants? Aren't we all diakonos? We should be. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. That's right. He first loved us. Aren't you glad you serve a Savior who cared enough about you to die for you? Do you doubt his love for you at all? Sometimes people feel a little distant, and we feel like, well, I don't know if God really is involved in my life, or God really cares about my life. I'm kind of insignificant. No, you're not. Jesus said that there's not a sparrow. That, I mean, a little bird sparrow falls that the Father doesn't know that sparrow has fallen. And listen to what he said. Are you of not much more, are you of much more value than they? Aren't you? And we are, right? We're so valuable to him. That Jesus was willing to die and his father was willing to ignore his pleas when he cried out to the father all that was done for you and me he deserves something better tonight I want to give anybody a chance maybe some of you that need the prayers of the church maybe some of you haven't obeyed the gospel and you need to repent of your sins and confess Jesus' precious name before men and be buried with him in baptism and if there's anything we can do to help you at all, please won't you come while together we stand and sing.